0: Hello and welcome to Happy Hour on the Fringe. Fringe Arts is Philadelphia's premier presenter of contemporary performing arts. I'm Raina Searles, marketing manager here at Fringe Arts, and I invite you to pour one up and enjoy our conversations with some of the most imaginative people on this plane of existence. And I'm Katie Damers, artistic producer at Fringe Arts.
1: Today we're excited to talk about Superterranean, a new work that will premiere in September as part of our Fringe Festival. Created by Philadelphia locals Pig Iron Theater Company in collaboration with lead artist Mimi Lien, the work is driven by Lien's fascinations with urban infrastructure, acting in concert with the human body. Today we're excited to be in conversation with Mimi. Welcome. Hi. Hello. So thank you so much for joining us. Mimi is currently living in Brooklyn, but commuting back and forth a fair amount to Philadelphia. So we're excited to have her here with us today. And we'll start with our first question. What are you drinking? I'm drinking a
2: dark and stormy with extra spicy ginger beer.
1: I mm. love that. sounds amazing. It's hot out, so that sounds it like is perfect. Extra spicy. <laughs> I'm having a watermelon margarita. And what are you having, Raina? Right
0: I'm having a white wine.
1: Very elegant. (laughs) elegant.
0: (laughs) Classic happy hour. (laughs) Um, So to get started, uh, you've been quoted as saying that you are drawn to holes, portals, pipes, partial objects, and openings, which is very important to the design of Superterranean. Can you tell us more, like, what is it that you like about these places? What is your inspiration behind that?
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Well, I mean, I guess I can start by saying
2: that sometimes when I'm, well, often, probably a lot of people see this, when you're standing on the subway platform, uh, sometimes you see a, a rat, you know, well, we see a number of rats crawling around in the in the tracks, but then sometimes, it, you know, you see a rat dart into a little, a little hole um, mm-hmm. that's like perfectly sized for the rat, mm-hmm. and it seems to know exactly where it's going, it's not just like, oh, I discovered this hole, <laughs> like, maybe I should go into it. Um, and like, I just have always really loved really love that. Uh, and I think that you know that that hole, which I don't know what is on the other side of it, and it seems to suggest this kind of vast, elaborate, parallel civilization of rats that's just underfoot. And I can kind of imagine the vastness of it, but I, I can't see it at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess I guess, uh, you know tunnels, conduits, um, this suggestion of of a kind of complexity and vastness that we can sort of sense with our bodies, but can't really visualize or comprehend. And I don't know that that has always caused a kind of like breathlessness mm-hmm. in me and and curiosity.
1: So I know as part of the development process for Supertrain, you've worked with Jeff. Manna from Building Blog, who's a writer and scholar and kind of all-around thinker, and done a number of different field trips to places like this. Yeah. What are some of the other systems that you've looked at as part of your research?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, I first met Jeff uh, when I was participating in a studio that he led called Landscapes of Quarantine mm-hmm. at the storefront for art and architecture in New York, and I um, and so as part of that studio, we were examining like different environments of quarantine, mm. but, like geopolitical, medical and biological. Mm-hmm. And I mean he this is kind of a great resource for uh, you know, thinking about all of the different kind of facets of, of architecture and design and how that impacts our civilization. Um, I guess and so we invited him. I initially started out Thinking loosely about utopias mm-hmm. as I was contemplating the beginning of this project, and Jeff has actually had recently curated an exhibition about utopias. Mm-hmm. Uh, we invited him to, you know, talk to us a little bit about that. And while he was here, we also went on a field, a couple of field trips to, uh, you know, I guess you know thinking about intentional communities or where a built environment dictated, you know, a certain kind of human behavior within that. So we started out actually visiting uh, the Arch Street Meeting House. Mm -hmm. Um, And also we went to Ephrata, a religious community that's like 40 minutes outside really. Mm -hmm. Um, and then maybe the most transformative one was going to visit a wastewater treatment plant um, down in Southeast Philly, and that was just I mean super eye opening. I mean I had never had access to a facility like that, and then just the just the sh- you know sheer number of steps involved um, in the process of water filtration, (laughs) and the sheer, like, acreage um, that that takes up, these, like, vast sluices things like that. Um, So that was uh, really, I think, pivotal in terms of really uh, the direction that this project went in.
1: Well, and that's so interesting to think about because it looks like you determined a number of different systems, some of which are very exterior and known. Like I think about the meeting house or an intentional mm-hmm. community, it's really built with that design and it's not seeking to obscure it or hide it. Whereas like a wastewater treatment facility or even a subway, they mm-hmm. kind of do their best to obscure mm-hmm. those passageways so that like you don't see the rats running through or you don't have to think about what happens when you flush the toilet and where it goes. Yeah, How exactly. does that you know, come into your design? Yeah,
2: yeah. Yeah, I definitely feel like I started out thinking about systems in general mm-hmm. and kind of worked from the outside in, and, and I think eventually I did start feeling that these more visible or overt systems were somehow less intriguing to me. Mm. And I found, um, well I guess at one point, um, Dan Rothenberg, our director, mm. artistic, uh, co-artistic director of Pig Iron, just asked me what my obsessions were. Mm. And uh, and as I started thinking about that and relaying them, I found that a lot of them uh, were of con- sort of concealed spaces, so tunnels, and a lot of them happen to be, like, underground, or they're places that were not meant to be, like mm-hmm. um, industrial spaces that are generally forbidden to the public that I found particularly... Um, enticing and sort of seductive in a way (laughs) and more and more i think about um places that i'm drawn to like with my gut or with my body more than with my brain in a way and i I think that that like in a way the process um, of working on this piece has been quite intuitive Mm -hmm. and like sort of following following my nose but now I'm sort of thinking of it as like following my gut. (laughs) It's Mm -hmm. like, I think I'm after a particular like visceral sensation of space like or a visceral experience of space. Um, And the kinds of spaces that I have been obsessed with are those that affect me bodily. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to figure out, you know, how, how do we make that in a performance context. Mm-hmm. Or how do we talk about that in a um, good performance context?
0: Yeah, I, I'm really curious, because this kind of leads very naturally into a question of what should the audience expect to experience when they come see the show? What can we tell them ahead of time to kind of prep them and, and let them know what you're, how what you're thinking transits into this performance? Hmm. Um, Well, I guess I could start by saying that, like,
2: we're not really considering it, like, theater, 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 Mm -hmm. I guess we're calling it visual theater, like, it's pretty, it's, it's pretty, like, out there, like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of feeling the air with my hands right now, (laughs) which you can't see, but I'm like. Feel like what we're after, what we're what we've made so far, and what I think we're gonna continue to make is stuff that you don't quite. It's not. It's certainly not narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, it's definitely very visual. I think spatially. I think one thing we're trying to figure out is like how how do we focus the audience's attention mm-hmm. on a space? Although I have decided that it's not an an environmental like it's not a performance that the audience walks through <laughs> I think you know as I'm saying like oh you know I want to create the kind of experience that you feel viscerally really within your body that is you know often thought of as something that maybe you're in an immersive you know experience mm-hmm. um, and it's not it's not that actually I, I guess maybe one challenge that I set out for myself is is there a way for me to try to evoke that sensation without without actually walking through it. Mm-hmm. Um, we did this workshop a couple of months ago, and maybe one of my favorite things that an audience member said after it was that, oh, I kind of, like, although I didn't touch anything, I kind of feel mm. icky. <laughs> <laughs> and there is, yeah, maybe I'll say that there's some fluids, mm-hmm. there's some, like, soft... <laughs> substances, you know, we've been, we've been sort of curious about, I don't know, this basic relationship between the human body and its like softness and squishiness mm-hmm. in relation to these hard structures made out of concrete and steel and this sort of peculiar relationship between the soft, squishy creatures that created these massive hard structures
1: mm. well and I wondered that makes sense as it comes out of your development and like devising process where often in a more traditional theatrical context there would be a script with maybe a story or at least a thematic and then they'd come to you as the set designer mm-hmm. m- after that is all created and say put this in an environment yeah. but this working process has been the opposite yeah. so you have kind of developed the environment or the stage space and then they are devising the theatrical work within that like how has that flipped process felt for you yeah it's felt pretty it's felt pretty crazy
2: and Mm -hmm. intense i mean definitely i found myself thinking like well this is probably you know like what a playwright feels like Mm -hmm. when you're sitting there facing the blank page of like what what is this going to be about you Mm -hmm. know because certainly as a set designer I'm most often responding to something like whether it's a script or a piece of music or a poem or you know it is definitely um, you know a kind of response as opposed to making the first scratch. And I think there's a lot of you know I think throughout the years I've definitely had a lot of impulses like oh like you know I see a I see a landscape or I see a photo and be like that would be an amazing set for something you know. Mm-hmm. But also Knowing that this is a piece that I'm making with pig iron and that particular ensemble and the mm-hmm. way that they uh, make stuff, um, I was also sort of trying to think a little bit about well, not every space is gonna have like a like vibrate in a particular way with that ensemble, mm-hmm. so it's also trying to calibrate a little bit of like what that um, what that kind of what that environment would be. But yeah, and like at the same time, thinking about something that is both like aesthetically and spatially captivating to me, but also thinking about what would have dramatic potential Mm -hmm. as a performance piece. Yeah. Mm
0: -hmm. So how does this process differ since you've worked with Pig Iron for a number of years? How has that relationship grown and changed over the years? And how do you feel like this project is taking it to a new level?
2: Yeah, I mean, definitely as a designer working, with, I
0: mean, Pig Iron was the
2: first ensemble company that I had worked with. I mean, it was pretty early on uh, that I did my first show with them, which was Love and Punished in 2006. Mm-hmm. And at that time, I think I'd been doing theater for like two years, <laughs> and it was my first encounter with working this way. So, I mean, definitely, even, even. You know other pig iron pieces that don't start with the set design. The design enters the picture very early and is part of the room as the piece is being made. I guess the difference is that with those pieces, there's already an idea, even if it's a very vague idea and just a kind of kernel or just an early you know germinating seed. But I'm still responding to that idea. So I guess the biggest difference was that. You know i was coming up with the with that germinating idea
1: i wonder if we can also talk a little bit about philadelphia as a site or more broadly all of the research that we did to come up with the final site for the performance which is mm-hmm. you know the fringe festival for all our listeners out there like takes place all around the city some things happen in our theater here at fringe arts but many things including super training take place off-site and so we thought a lot about, you know, is it going to be in a proceeding theater? Is it going to be in a warehouse? And kind of ended up somewhere in the middle. So I if we could talk um, for people who weren't part of that process. You know, what was that like? And how did that affect your design? I think I said
2: a little bit earlier about this piece not being an environmental piece that the mm-hmm. audience walks through. So definitely, as we started thinking about making this piece that's going to start with the design and, and all of my, you know, known interests in, like, in, you know, three-dimensional space being a really powerful tool um, and wanting the audience to experience three-dimensional space. And a lot of my designs and, you know, in, in the past have been, like, 360-degree experiences and designing a space that the audience enters. Mm-hmm. Um, so that. You know, that's certainly something that I thought about. But then, you know, for some reason, I had this gut feeling that I wanted to make it in a kind of more proscenium relationship for the audience. Or I didn't want to make a site-specific piece. I guess I was interested in the role of design or the potential for design in a, in a more neutral laboratory Mm. uh, container Mm -hmm. so I feel like a site specific experience is great and really powerful but like the site is doing so much of that work and Mm -hmm. I I guess I wanted to challenge myself to see like what a design from scratch could could do so I sort of wanted to start from scratch and therefore I thought maybe you know the neutral space of a proscenium theater is where I want to make it and you know I, I do kind of love Prosceniums for the very fact that you can then break it. Mm-hmm. Um, so we set about, you know, trying to find a proscenium space. But I also knew that I wanted something that I that had a pretty big volume of space. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to. I wanted to be able to shape the volume. Yeah, I mean, you know, we looked at you know armories and maybe yeah. yards and you know, you know so these kinds of spaces. <laughs> yeah. but uh, but there's all you know there's all sorts of logistical considerations and for sure. you know some of them were actually like too tall you know like if i'm like if i want to build something that feels like it fills the space mm-hmm. if the space is too big then that doesn't really work for us um so we've we've landed at a venue that i didn't think you know i didn't imagine we would yeah, be in a like this. A venue. <laughs>
1: it's a venue we've never worked at before it's 2300 <laughs> arena it's actually usually a wrestling space yeah. or an event space But it kind of fit the bill in a really unexpected way for this piece, because in some ways it's a blank space, it essentially looks like Mm -hmm. a black box, Mm -hmm. and yet we are kind of creating a proscenium feel within it. So I'd like to think it's the best of both worlds, but Mm -hmm. every site has its own challenges and specificities. Yeah, for sure.
2: Yeah, no, I mean, it turns out that this space has like an 80 foot by 80 foot footprint that we could, (laughs) you know, um, with you know, very few columns, and so mm-hmm. we could basically kind of place the audience wherever we wanted inside it and, and and really create our own container potentially to be broken. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so I'm curious, uh, in conjunction with Super and you're also working on an installation at Cherry Street Pier. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about what that's going to be and what that's going to look like? Yeah, so... We've been talking a little bit about this like feeling of,
2: of a of a gut, like a visceral response to architecture. And I guess I was inspired recently by I went to see a Bruce Nauman exhibition at mm. PS1 in New York. And I've always loved his work so much. You know, a lot of them are like corridors, like very long, skinny corridors if you go down. And I think I even made a piece that was sort of an homage. Uh, back when I was in grad school, mm-hmm. where you sort of squished your way around this very skinny corridor and peered into this space within. Um, so, what guy was, you know, so for the, the performance or the show, you know, in some ways, I guess we're creating a, a visual theatrical work that speaks to particular spatial sensibilities. Mm-hmm. But I, I was interested in maintaining this frame and this proscenium relationship. and So with the public artwork, I thought, well, this is my opportunity to actually to have someone move their body mm-hmm. through a space and orchestrate that experience in a particular way. We, we looked at a couple of different sites, and, I mean, this piece did really want to be very site-responsive. Uh, but but I, I did always have this Notion of going into a very enclosed space. Because I knew it was going to be, um, probably is going to be on an outdoor site. Mm-hmm. And so there's this, you know, sort of larger, broader idea of this public artwork somehow funneling the person from an exterior to an interior space, from an open air to an enclosed space. and And essentially like a gradual awareness of your... You know, I guess I have this hypothesis that when you're in a really, really enclosed space, like a really tight space and maybe a dark space, like I've always imagined this as being quite a, a dark space, that it's like an inside out experience. Like maybe you feel like you're entering some part of a body or like you, mm-hmm. you sense the ins, innards of your body a little bit more when you're when you're in a space like that. You like sense your breathing or your heart rate mm. a little bit more, I guess because, you know, your senses are being limited in a way. And so yeah. if you're in an anechoic chamber, you probably hear the sound of the blood rushing through your ears a little bit and you kind of imagine like the capillaries that the blood is rushing through and, and you're inside this kind of tiny artery and so, there's this kind of conflation of body and architecture so i was interested in exploring that idea on whatever site we ended up in and i first made a proposal for one site but that ended up you know (laughs) it's like infrastructurally challenging because it's like underneath the ben franklin bridge in 995 yeah you know these days it's really hard to build an enclosed structure underneath an interstate highway.
1: Yeah, we learned so much about the security <laughs> system at the state, the local, and the city levels. So. Yeah, I mean,
2: it's actually, I, I kind of suspected, I mean, in my brief foray into the public art world, definitely these, like, considerations of what people might do yeah. um, in a public space, uh, which is, you know, interesting. I mean, that's sort of not unrelated to the, mm-hmm. to the project at hand. Um, But anyway, we've ended up at Cherry Street Pier, which is a very different vibe from being like underneath a bridge bridge Mm anchorage and like a rumbling highway. And so I I kind of wanted to respond to that a little bit. So I think the project has become a little bit more whimsical. Uh, (laughs) There's also uh, Little Baby's ice cream truck Mm -hmm. is there at the end of the pier and... um, Maybe, like,
0: <laughs> that's part of the experience. Mm-hmm. Um, Just walk through a tunnel and get a free ice cream? Or, well, get an ice cream <laughs> and then walk through a tunnel and then eat the ice cream while you're inside the tunnel and feel <laughs> it going oh down God. your
1: esophagus. Yes, yes.
0: <laughs> I, I wonder also about the sound bleed, because Cherry Street Pier is this, you know, really vibrant place where people are, like, walking, talking outside, so that is also very different than what the sound would sound like underneath of a bridge so do you plan to shut that sound out is it like a space that you enter and you're kind of closed off audibly from the world as well that is my hope um we've been working with
2: a composer and sound designer named leah bertucci on uh, superterranean but she's also you know done a lot of sound installations and things like that all over the world. Um, She actually made this amazing sound installation in a, there's a bridge in Germany that has like enclosure, sort of flat tunnel like space Mm. that goes right under the road bed of the bridge and so she made this sound installation inside Mm. that space, which is really cool. So we are collaborating on this public artwork as well and so there's going to be a sound component which i hope and imagine will drown out the existing surrounding and and that you're going to enter into this kind of other sonic
1: world awesome well we are so excited to see both when they're here in september Mm -hmm. I think to nice. finish off the conversation, we always ask everybody, "What's your lowbrow and your highbrow inspiration?" Could mm-hmm. be for super or more broadly. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I'm going to mention Bruce Nauman,
2: but I guess this is maybe <laughs> similar. I guess uh, Donald Judd. When I went to, I went on a trip to Marfa, Texas, and saw a bunch of Donald Judd works out there in the in the grasses of Marfa, <laughs> mm-hmm. and have, it's just really stuck with me. And can you tell us a little bit more about
0: Donald Judd?
2: Yeah. So Donald Judd is a sculptor, and visual artist. I think he would he would he he did not want to be called a minimalist,
0: although I think a lot of
2: people describe his work as somewhat mm-hmm. minimalist. But I feel like a lot of his work straddles the line between sculpture and furniture. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and I actually recently went on a tour of his, like, apartment slash studio in Soho. <coughs> and so that he had this building in Soho, and, like, one one floor was his studio and then a couple other floors he lived on with his family. But he also designed and built a lot of the furniture. Um, so his entire living environment was totally curated mm-hmm. and very crafted, and a lot of people describe it as minimalist. I actually noticed recently that the Cherry Street Pier... Uh, there's some chairs and tables in Cherry Street Pier that seem a little bit they inspired do. by a Donald Jones like that. Totally. Yeah. Um, but I guess I've always been really inspired by the crossover between his art and life. Um, that's, that's just something that's always inspired me. But also this particular work in Marfa, I do not remember the title of it, but it's like there's like a hundred aluminum boxes. Mm. that are displayed in this huge former airplane hangar. And they're all, like, all 100 boxes are, like, exactly the same dimension, and they're made out of the same aluminum. They're, like, three-foot-by-three-foot cubes. But then on the inside, they're all, like, divided in a slightly different way, like, divided into two compartments or three compartments or with a horizontal shelf or with a vertical divider. And it's a very cold work you might say like it's like the aluminum and it's like hard corners and everything but like i oddly felt very emotional or moved by it and i don't know i I, like maybe it was something about the the human attempt to like discover all of the possibilities of dividing this box where like there's some sense of effort Mm -hmm. or labor and it's meticulously done. So, I don't know. that. I've, I've talked about that piece a lot with our actors um, as we started working on this piece. Lowbrow? <laughs> Maybe, well, I don't watch a lot of TV, but... It, I've been tr- I've tried to watch Battlestar Galactica.
1: Um. <laughs> mm-hmm. We have some fans of that in our office over, ah, the, over for sure. the past like <laughs> seven years. I mean,
2: I think I didn't even start watching it until the entire thing was over. Mm-hmm. But it's taken me like seven years. I still haven't finished watching. I just watch it like a tiny bit at a time mm-hmm. when I have when I have the time. But that's certainly an example of a uh, sort of insidious system
0: of mm-hmm. sorts. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah totally cool well thank you so much for joining
0: us Mimi thank you for having me yeah Um, Superterranean will be presented at 2300 Arena September 5th through the 15th as part of the 2019 Fringe Festival so we hope to see you all there make sure to follow us on Facebook Twitter Snapchat and Instagram and download the Fringers app you can also visit us at fringers.com